Hey, one more thing before you go. Dementia. They call it the long goodbye. According to the Alzheimer's Association, more than 6 million Americans are living with dementia or Alzheimer's. By 2050, this number is projected to rise to nearly 13 million. Worldwide, that number stands at 55 million, with over 60% of those living in low and middle-income countries. One in three senior dies with Alzheimer's or other dementia. It kills more than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. In 2020, COVID-19 contributed to 17% increase in Alzheimer's and dementia deaths. And in 2022, Alzheimer's and other dementia will cost the nation $321 billion by 2050. These costs could reach nearly $1 trillion. More than 11 million Americans provide unpaid care for people with Alzheimer's or other dementia. In 2021, those caregivers provided more than 16 billion hours of care valued at nearly $272 billion. Please stay tuned, as we're going to have a discussion with an individual that took that journey to take care of her mother with dementia and wrote a book about it we could all use as a guide. We have a lot in common. As you all know, my wife and I took care of her father for the last 18 months of his life while he had dementia. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Carolyn Burrell. She is retired after having spent 20 years working first for the American Cancer Society and as a real estate agent in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Soon after her move to her new place, her new home, she relocated her aging mother to be near her. She spent the next eight years caring for her while learning all things dementia. We have a a lot in common we're going to talk about. What began as a written collection of her mother's difficult behaviors during dementia's earliest stages quickly turned into a comprehensive book entitled Walking with Faye, My Mother's Uncharted Path into Dementia. This is going to be an essential guide for anyone that has a family member that they're experiencing this devastating disease. If she continued to update until her mother's inevitable end, It speaks of one woman's journey on her mother's path into dementia, of which we are going to take a little bit of that journey with her today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You have an amazing journey. I really appreciate the fact that we connected and that uh, we have some things in common that we're going to share with the audience. And uh, what you've provided as an author is a is a wonderful opportunity for people to move forward. from this disease, actually. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to start, as everybody knows, I'd like to start at the beginning. So let's kind of talk about you a little bit. Uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Western New York, which I only recently realized and was, was corrected to say it's Western, not upstate. Um, Rochester area near between Buffalo and Rochester, a little town called Holly. Um, I, was, I was born and raised there 
and um, went uh, moved to Atlanta, Georgia after I graduated college and um, spent 20 years in Atlanta. Like as you said in your introduction, I worked for the American Cancer Society and then I became a real estate agent and new home builder. Did you, um, are you married? Do you have kids? I am divorced and newly engaged. Um, in fact, any day now. By the time it's aired, I will be officially Carolyn Birrell. Uh, when I became engaged, I told my publisher and he said, uh-oh, we need to change your author last name so that people don't get confused when it becomes, when it becomes published. So I, I'm, uh, I'll be officially Carolyn Birrell by the time you post this. Well, congratulations, Mrs. Birrell. Thank you. So did you, um, when did you first notice that your, uh, I know you moved your mother down with you, but when did you first notice any symptoms or signs that there was maybe an, an issue? You know, it was, it was one of those things that um, I did notice, but in the early stages of dementia, she was with it just enough to sprinkle that in along with the behaviors that weren't quite right. So for me, I lived 3,000 miles away. I saw my mother once a year in person. I flew out to see her and I spoke with her most mornings. Um, in hindsight, I'm going to say that I should have noticed sooner, but it was a convenient error on my part to accept that my mother was just getting quirky with her old age. She was repeating herself. She was telling stories four, five, and six times in one conversation. Um, she was forgetting important dates, uh, birthdays. She even forgot Christmas, uh, claiming that her, her schedule was so busy that she forgot to mail out Christmas cards. Um, so, so I missed, I missed it. Um, admittedly so, until one morning very early, I received a phone call from her sheriff in her small town in Georgia, telling me that he'd been receiving phone calls complaining of my mother's erratic driving uh, on the wrong side of the road, uh, swerving. And um, even that morning, I was more irritated with him than, than concerned, because in my opinion, he should have t pulled her over. He should give her a ticket, take away her driver's license. My effectiveness in telling my mother she shouldn't be driving because her peers are concerned about her would have been zero. In fact, I would have angered her. I, so, yeah. Excuse me, I, not to interrupt you. I, I, if I can just interject for a second, I, just to, to validate what you were going through, we, we did a similar situation where my father-in-law was in a different state and uh, we did the same thing. There were little things that kept showing up, little things kept showing up, but we weren't always quite realizing exactly what was happening. Um, he had been involved in three accidents um, back then, but uh, most of them we didn't even know about until after the fact. And it was because he he was that way. So uh, it's kind of, do you think it's kind of normal that we as children of somebody or the kids of uh, adults that are going through that, do you think it's normal that they feel that we feel um, or kind of overlook that? Absolutely. There are so many reasons for that too. One, we don't want to see it. We don't want there to be a problem with mom or dad. We know them 
in a certain role in our lives and we don't want that role to change. We also are living our busy lives and don't quite know what to do with mom or dad as we're trying to live our lives. So, and when they give you these glimmers of themselves as you remember them, it's just enough to ease our minds and sort of whitewash the whole situation and say, oh, she's okay, Mom, mom's okay. Until the next time, you know, until the next minor disaster that happens. And then eventually those minor disasters turn into bigger, bigger fires to put out. Until at some point you realize you can't not interfere. And that's the other thing, interference. We were raised not to question our parents or anyone, you know, of, of authority. We were we were raised to give them they were they had the authority, they had the independence. Who are we to take that away from our very parents or aunts and uncles or or anyone for that matter? We're put in this decision-making position that the average person is not equipped to, to make because we have no training in the identification of dementia, how to handle dementia. So I think that whole ostrich head in the sand scenario is, is true. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because even me as a law enforcement officer back there, I, I, I'm trained to, to observe and notice certain things and we fail to notice that within our own family in reality. And imagine, imagine you, know, you were trained. The average person isn't a yeah. trained police officer. They haven't gone through the courses or the life experiences that you did. So for them to say, something's wrong with mom and I think I need to get involved. Well, okay, are you gonna take mom's driver's license away from her? Are you going to take mom's car away from her? Are you going to start paying mom's bills when she won't give you her account number, and she won't sign over a yep. power of attorney because she's suspicious. So these things are are the things that the average person is is presented. Yeah, it's it's it is a unique journey when, and, and dare I say it this way, um, our parents become the child. We reverse the roles in in these regards because in reality. Um, the, the only way to be able to manage that situation is to reverse the roles. We become the parent, they become the child. And it, uh, our mentality, I think, takes an abrupt look within ourselves that kind of goes, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this. You know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be telling you, my father-in-law, you can't drive. I, I did it, but I, I did it from my, I had, to, I had to put my cop hat on to say, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let you drive anymore. Because and you imagine can't. this, you weren't his son. It was exactly. his daughter that would have had to say that. And I think I'm willing to bet that it would have been twice as hard or more for her to do that, to say, dad, you can't drive anymore. Because who are we to be telling our parents what they can yep. and cannot do, taking away their independence, when in fact, they're telling you to leave them alone, to butt out. Yep. that they know best and how dare you get involved with their their lives oh that that 100 percent. it's a situation uh, once we determined that david had dementia um our lives changed drastically i'm sure just like yours so what steps 
did you guys take to, to kind of get a, a diagnosis of dementia to ensure that that's what you were dealing with? My mother was the slippery one. She refused. I tried many times. Every time we had a, a, an appointment for her, I would call ahead and I would say, hi, I'm going to be bringing my mother in today. She's probably going to say some very strange things to you. I am sure that she has dementia. Is there any way we can test her for that? And in my small town, we tried that a couple of a couple of visits and I was shocked that at each time the doctor looked at my mother and said, Faye, do you know who the president is this year? And my mother, you could see her recognition in her eyes and her jaw would clench up and she would close her mouth and she would refuse to respond to to this physician and interview over. Wow. Yes, it, yeah. it's it kind of, and you can't force them, but it's it's like no. a temperamental child. Absolutely, um, but isn't it interesting that even a physician, you know, didn't handle it, you know, didn't handle it in a way that I would have liked them to. Like maybe just have a conversation with her and see for yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's you know, that, what, how big was the town that I'm stumbling over my words? I've got so many things running through my head. From the small town, how small was the town? I mean, was you know, you, we talking like uh, four or five hundred people? We talking a couple thousand people? How how big was the town? My town is twenty five hundred people in the city limits, and and I'm not saying the the physician's appointments, you know, to disparage right. the physician. <laughs> no, they saw. do the best they can. They did. They did the best they could, and I think that maybe. Um, you know, I, I think this is just another example of how dementia is so tricky. You know, how do you handle it? Well, and, and we talked about this right before we started the interview. Um, I, would, I would validate what you just said in regard to that because uh, my father-in-law was misdiagnosed originally. They diagnosed him and was treating him for Parkinson's disease. And the dementia stuff never came into play. Mm. So for years, he was being treated with Parkinson's and in reality, he had Lewy body dementia. And it took them moving from Colorado Springs in a small town. Colorado Springs is a pretty decent-sized city within itself. And um, we had to bring him to the Phoenix metro area into a neurological facility in order for them to actually determine and come in and say, he doesn't have Parkinson's. He's got Parkinsonism associated with Lewy body dementia. And they can take that one step further. So... And we don't always have that opportunity. You know, we got lucky because we're in an area that has a facility that specializes in that, in neurological issues, including dementia. So <clears throat> what do you recommend to somebody? Or we can get into, this, we can get into that part of it later. Once you get a determination that she had dementia, uh, what were your next steps? Write it out. What I tried to do when I moved my mother here to, to Idaho, I tricked her. I told her she was coming for a vacation. Um, cleaned out her house in Georgia while my sister babysat her for two weeks um, in, her own, in her own apartment. And listed her house for sale. Threw away so many years of accumulation. My mother had become a hoarder, which is also pretty typical with dementia. And took her best things to Idaho, moved her into an adorable little house that I had bought and renovated in preparation for this move, and proceeded to watch everything I did 
get undone by this little woman in the in the space of six months. She began stealing her neighbor's mail. She began burning any mail that she received because she was convinced that by receiving mail, that meant that strangers knew her address. So by burning it, they could no longer know her address. That was her, her rationalization. She climbed into cars repeatedly. I ended up having my phone number taped to her keychain so that people could call me and say, I have your mother in the back seat of my car. She was walking down the highway and we picked her up. That probably happened several times a week. Um, the straw that broke the camel's back was when she met a man at the gas station up the road that she would walk to, to buy milk and um, let him pop a tent up in her backyard. Um, wow. My neighbor called me, yeah, my neighbor called me and said, does your mother have a, a guest in her backyard in a tent? And that turned into a police call, an arrest, an existing wow. outstanding warrant. Um, you know, that's just an episode of 2020 right there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, and it's unfortunate that people take advantage of somebody that's got dementia or Alzheimer's yeah. in many, so many, so many ways. <clears throat> Let me pause for a second so I can cut that cough out. So when you, I know that it's very difficult from a, from a daughter's perspective. It, may I ask uh, what age range your mother was in? Yeah, when I when I went to get her, she was seventy nine, and I was around forty. Um, and when she passed away, she was oh, she was seventy eight because when she passed away, she was eighty six. So she yeah, she had it for quite a while actually. Then yeah, well she she had it before I went and got her for sure. And mm -hmm. when you read about Alzheimer's and the dementias in general, there are a number of years on the front end that the disease is happening, but it's quietly happening. And it doesn't often present itself in a way that people notice, including the person. I mean, how many times have you left your reading glasses on your head and walked around the house looking for your reading glasses? You know, or how many times have you walked into a room and said, why am I here? What did I what did I come into this room for? You know, these are the things that happen to someone with dementia, but they happen to us as well. Guilty. I've, I've, I've walked around with my phone in my hand asking my wife where my phone was. <laughs> And I went, okay. <laughs> yeah, we chalk it up to being busy, you know, scattered today. You know, even the early signs like confusion. How many times as the front door rung, you had a frying pan on the oven and the dog was barking? You know, what do you do? Yep. You, you go like this. Um, it's, it's, it's just a, a natural course of things. But with dementia, it starts to happen on a more regular basis. Now, what form of dementia does she have? Because I know there are different levels. Like I said, David had Lewy body dementia, which affected him both physically and mentally. Right. And my mother never was diagnosed. She had dementia, with whether it was frontal temporal lobe dementia, Lewy body, um, um, Alzheimer's. You know, I, I never knew because she was uncooperative. Um, in the end, you know, dementia is an umbrella term for all of them. So... For me, it didn't matter which kind she had. There wasn't a cure. She was traveling down that road quite quite speedily. And I was just always one step behind trying to keep up with her. 
Yeah, at that time, where if I can get more a little bit more personal, um, were you married still at that time? I know you said you were divorced, but you're newly fiancéd. Yes. Um, were you married? I was in a long-term relationship, and Robert's in my book. He was with me through the whole thing. In fact, Sam is in my book, my ex-husband. I, I am blessed. I, I have managed to stay friends with with my exes. And Sam was a huge help because my mother knew him for a decade while we were married. Well, that helped. Um, and he understood her, and he came and saw her. And there were times where I could get her to do something with Sam's help and nobody else's. And Robert flew out to Georgia with me and helped me empty mm. her house and drove all her things back with, with us and was with me every night I came home crying after seeing my mother and every phone call I received from somebody saying, I'm in the Safeway parking lot with your mother in the back car. Do you want to meet me here? You know, he was a huge support during that time. And I think it's important that we have a support system that we can reach Absolutely. out to, especially in these particular situations, because it's difficult to watch your parent disappear. And, um, Absolutely. you know, the process of dementia or Alzheimer's, as we know, um, we slowly watch them disappear. They, they right look. before our very eyes. Exactly. It's a long goodbye. As we said at the beginning, uh, it's a long goodbye. And yeah. it's, a, it's unfortunately, in fact, you said it better than I did. So what exactly is the long goodbye? What did I say exactly? Hmm. <laughs> I would say that my mother was um, very slowly turning into somebody I didn't recognize. Um, she raised me. I had wonderful memories of Easter mornings and cookie cutouts at Christmas time and snow boots that I couldn't get pulled off without her help. And, you know, first day of school and learning how to drive all of the things, you know, and here is this stranger presenting herself to me saying things that I would have had my mouth washed out with soap right. growing up in her household. Um, having opinions about things that my mother's number one saying was, if you don't have anything good to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. And here I am watching my mother just unload. It, she became a person that I honestly didn't like. And that put me in a new position because she needed my help to stay um, safe. And there were so many times that I showed up out of a sense of responsibility, but I can honestly say not out of a sense of love. She had become at times a very unlovable person. And I had to force myself to go knock on her door and check in on her. Yeah, I think I, I again, can relate to that. It's a situation I think that we, um, we as human beings, we have the compassion and we have empathy. That's the reason we're taking care of our loved one the way we are. But at the same time, we take on a caretaker role, which unfortunately puts the son, the daughter, the husband, the wife um, outside that box. And we, be, we get into caretaker mode. And caretaker mode is kind of a protection mode as well. It, it allows us to be able to get to feel angry because... As you know, in it, it, the arguments, they, if they're sundowning, sundowning is where they think it's three o'clock in the morning when it's three o'clock in the afternoon, or vice versa. And you can talk to them until you're blue in the face and tell them and they'll argue with you to, to the land's end 
that is three o'clock in the morning, or excuse me, three o'clock in the afternoon, and it's three o'clock in the morning. Right, time to go and, to bed, mom. And they're dressed up and ready to walk out the door to take uh, an evening walk or a morning walk, and you ask them why the sky is blue, and they go, "I don't know," but it's three o'clock in the morning, and you can get angry. It you have, you can get uh, depressed, upset. It, it all the all those emotions come in, and it's normal for that to take place because you're dealing with somebody that's not really your parent. Absolutely. It is difficult to not to lash out at that at times and say, "Just look at the clock." It is difficult to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Did you have any techniques or any anything that you used to help you to um, manage those feelings? I slowly learned things along the way. Um, sadly, it took a lot of mistakes to, to learn these things. And I could glean little bits and pieces from the many books that I took out from the library at the time. This was 2012. And the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Um, I was searching through books in the library and just coming up pretty empty. Um, mostly medical jargon or examples of people that were much further along in the disease than than what I needed. I needed real stories um, about people that were halfway with it. You know, they could still go to the grocery store. They could still make change. Uh, they could still cook and they could still drive whether they should or not. Um, so along the way, I discovered little bits and pieces, um, therapeutic fibbing was something that was huge for me because you don't lie to your mother. And if you did, your mother knew you were lying and you were going to pay for that. The first time I tried therapeutic fibbing, I held my breath and I didn't break eye contact with her. And she was beautiful about it. She accepted exactly what I said. I gave her the answer she was looking for and we moved on. I think we we have to learn to re-communicate. Yeah. With, with you have to individual. get into their you have to get into their world. You have to immerse yourself into the way they're seeing things because they're not seeing things the way we you know the the real way actually, you know, like you said, it's three o'clock in the morning and they're certain it's three in the afternoon. You have to yeah. immerse yourself in that reality and find a way to guide them into the direction you want them to go. And reasoning with them isn't going to do it. No, definitely not. And it, it's hard to understand. We, as individuals, human beings, it's very difficult for us to really understand from their perspective. We can see it happening. My father-in-law used to, we kept finding stuff all over the mirrors. We couldn't figure out what it was. I finally walked in there one time and found him standing in front of a mirror, taking the air freshener and spraying the man in the mirror. Ah. Because he didn't realize that was him. He thought it was some stranger. He picked up the closest thing to him, and he would spray like he was trying to spray it in the guy's eyes. And the man. And you know that's away. a real thing. It is a they real don't thing. See, yeah, they don't see themselves don't at see the themselves. age that they are. Many assisted living homes and memory care facilities now post a photograph of them from their earlier days, and they put it on their door so that when they come to their door, they know that that's their home to go in. And it might be a photograph of your 20-year-old self because you don't see yourself at 85 years old. Well, it's like, and and you start to lose 
they start, I don't know if your mother did this or not, but they start to lose the ability to function like like what we normally do, eat, pick up a fork, how to you know, put the food on the fork and put it in your mouth, how to put the, the yogurt on the spoon and put it in your mouth and eat. Did you experience any of that? That's near the end. That's, that's la one of the last stages uh, before they lose their ability to actually swallow and, and the end. Um, that's when you know that it's starting, you know, the end is starting. So your mother, did you ever, did you keep her in that house um, until she died or did you end up moving her in with you? How did you, how did you take care or manage the care? And that's where we're different. And that's where you deserve angel wings. Um, after six months uh, of, of trying to keep up with my mother and the, the man in the backyard and the burning of the mail on her coffee table, um, it was actually Sam, my ex-husband, who called me one day and said, you know you're not doing her any favors by keeping her in that house. And I, I said, what? He said, there are 24 hours in this day, Carolyn, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner with her are not enough to keep her safe. You need to put her in into a home. I had made a promise to my mother long ago that I would never do that. So it was going against every grain in my body to, to have to do that, but I knew he was right. Um, it took a trick again to put her into the home and she was so angry with me that the one week cooling down process that most assisted living homes use turned into a three week cooling down process because my mother was so angry. When I finally saw her after the three weeks, she said to me, I know I'm mad at you, but I can't remember what for. Well, there are some, some advantages. <laughs> Just yeah. minute, but, but still, still an advantage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, David, we, we made a concerted effort to, his father spent a lifetime in a facility because he had polio. So David was terrified of facilities. And uh, I was um, honored to be able to have to take, you know, to take care of him in the last time that he was here. So uh, we were able to call hospice in uh, at a specific point in his journey. Uh, after he wasn't, we were unable to get him up walking. He wasn't mm -hmm. eating anymore. Uh, he couldn't swallow, like you said earlier. He had difficulty with um, holding the fork or spoon, forgot how to use it, and these kind of things. It got to a point where we called hospice in, and um, we had a bed moved in here, and um, a hospital bed, and so forth. So we had that advantage in regard to that, and the fact that I was able to take care of him during the daytime. Not everybody has that opportunity. Um, it it's was difficult. lovely that you call it an opportunity. It truly is. Um, I, I appreciate that. And I, and I know that my wife would as well, and so would uh, my kids and his grandkids. You know, it, it, I've spent a lifetime, um, one reason for one more thing before you go is because uh, of the fact that I never got to say goodbye to my father when he passed. I was 17, he was 39, and uh, I, I wasn't there. He was in a different state when he died. Never got to say goodbye, never got to, to experience that. My mother was in Colorado when she died unexpectedly. Um, my career in law enforcement, I'd been with so many people where I was with them during their last breath, and there was always, tell somebody this, tell my husband, tell my wife, tell my kids, tell my 
grandparents, you know, something, uh, because they didn't have the opportunity to do that. So I called it an opportunity because we had the opportunity to be able to bring family in to surround David um, as he was at the tail end of this, where he got to be able to say goodbye to his sisters and to his grandkids and to his daughter and so forth. So that's the reason I call that an opportunity. I felt that it's way he wouldn't die alone. He wouldn't die in another. That's not discounting anybody that puts, you know, uses a facility. Uh, I admire both because they're very difficult to make that decision. I'm sure it was difficult for you, as you said, to make that decision to put your mother in a facility. Um, I just happen to be available. I think that you were so lucky to be able to do all of that at the end. It was the time between moving him in and hospice that I know where you were. I I know the difficulties you must have experienced, the, um, you know, the, the erratic behaviors, trying to keep up with him, trying to manage him, trying to keep him happy and calm, peaceful. Uh, That is the part that I believe you deserve the angel wings. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it, uh, we did have some funny time, the times he was talking about squirrels that were running around the, the yeah. living room and so up his common arm. with Louis body. Yeah. yeah. Louis body is that. for the hallucinations. And then he tried to get himself dressed. I have to say this just because there are some funny moments in regard to this <laughs> disease. And he laughed too. Once he figured it out, when I showed him a picture, he tried to get himself dressed because normally we helped him get dressed. In the morning, this time he got himself dressed and he came walking out and he had his, don't know how he did this, he had his pants on backwards and had them zipped and buttoned. Wow. Okay, so we can't figure that one out. Um, we we stopped using a belt and he was using suspenders. The suspenders were down below him and he had put his legs through each of the suspenders like like a parachute harness instead of up over his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And he came out with his jacket. He had a, he's from Colorado, so he had this uh, down jacket that had no arms. He had put his head through the hole in the jacket <laughs> and had it draped over. <laughs> it was, and he goes, okay, I'm ready for my walk. And uh, it was pretty funny, actually. It was kind of, he cute. And when I took a picture and I said, let me show you, Dad, what you, what you did. He said, good job. You did all this, but how did you do this? And he looked at it and he went, well, that's not right. <laughs> uh, I'm so, surprised he didn't say, well, that's not me. Uh, he's done that before, but in, yeah. uh, luckily in this case, he went, that's not right. That doesn't look right. Did I do that? Yeah, you did that. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. Um, did your mother ever lose you? Did she ever forget who you were? I've had other relatives of mine that have... Uh, dealt with their parents that they had lost and they they would go to visit them and uh, at, at a facility and the person would say, you know, I know you keep coming here, but uh, I'm not sure I know who you are. Uh, did you ever experience anything like that? I remember people saying, oh, your mother doesn't recognize you anymore. It must be terrible for you. Or the day my parent didn't recognize me, it, it crushed me. And truthfully, it was the best day of my life when my mother didn't recognize me. She became nicer. She 
welcomed me. I was the nice lady who brought her a cookie. Um, she smiled and she would engage with me. When I was her daughter, she was angry often, suspicious often, um, and, and contrary. So I, I think looking back that my mother had lost herself. She had lost the control that she was used to having and assigned all of the blame on her daughter who was obviously responsible for this confusion she was feeling. So in my effort to care for her and keep her safe, you know, I, in, I effectively alienated my mother. I angered her. So I spent so many years trying to operate around that, um, trying to divert her, her, her focus on me, um, trying to divert her fixation on her home. Where's my house? Where's my, what's going on with my garden? Where's my car? Where's my cat? These things came up on such a regular basis that, um, those were kind of the areas I was telling you, I, I had lots of practice trying a new, a new answer each time until I landed on the right one that would placate her. Yeah. That's, it's an interesting journey having to recommunicate, learning how to recommunicate. Like you said, you, I, I I'm interested in knowing the, the, the statement you said earlier about it called something fibbing. Yeah. Therapeutic fibbing. Therapeutic fibbing. Um, it was never explained to us that way, but yeah, we have to learn how to kind of tell little fibs, little white lies to get them to, to kind of agree to the current situation. You know, we would show David something on the calendar and he'd go, that's not the right year. And he was adamant that that wasn't the right year. And you're going, yeah, it's the right year. And you, you'd, I'd call, you know, I don't know if you remember the little time and temperature, you could call, take up the phone and you'd call time and temperature and it'd give you time and temperature. Okay, yeah. And And he would go, no, that's not right. You told them to tell me that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you dial it yourself. He'd dial it himself. I'd tell him the numbers. And he'd go, well, you gave me that number so that your friend would pick that up and tell me that. See, those are the angel wings I'm talking about, Michael. Was, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was, yeah, you have to develop a lot of patience when you're dealing with somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia. That's absolutely for sure. Yeah. So in your journey, um, I know that at what point did you decide to start writing down these things and like journaling? Was it started with a journal or did it just start with, hey, I need to write this down? I think it started with a couple of emails to girlfriends, um, sort of like we called them Faye days. Uh, my mother's name is Faye. And it would be like, I entered into Faye land today and you're not going to believe what she said. Or today was a really, a really bad Faye day and this happened. So, I started collecting those and saving them because mostly they were funny. They, they reassured me, they gave me an outlet, um, at the time. Meanwhile, I had been still searching for this book that was going to help me and answer all of my questions. And somewhere in there, probably within the first year, I had written down a few more things or sent an email to a girlfriend saying this happened. Um, and I went back over them and looked at them and I thought, these are them. These are the exact scenarios that I was looking for. If only I had seen them ahead of time 
if only I had read something that said, this happened to me today, this is how I responded, I probably should have responded this way and it would have turned out better. That was, that was what I was hoping for. And that's what I started doing uh, throughout the next eight years caring for my mom. So this book basically is an eight year journey. It's an eight year book. It took me that long. And actually it's a 10 year book because then the final two years were, you know, finishing it, going back through paragraph or through chapters and mm. fine tuning them, going through the publishing process. Um, yeah. Oh, as a matter of fact, it was 2012 when I went to get my mother and this is 2022. So there's 10 years. 10 years. What's that old, that old uh, saying that used to be a wine commercial? Nothing is released. Uh, we don't, I don't even remember. That. Oh, so, we don't make wine before it's time. There you go. We don't make, you know, we don't make this book and before it's time. And you just, you just did it. You took your time and here it is. Yeah, it's true. What, um, when I ask this, it's just to give a little, um, because there are some lighthearted moments like I had spit, you know, I had told you, um, what's the funniest thing that ever happened with you and your mom? Hey, just a real quick reminder. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for being a part of the One More Thing Before You Go family. Please remember to subscribe and or follow us. We would greatly appreciate it. We do have an app that's available for you for free. You'll find it in the App Store or on Google Play. It is compliments of Superpass, our sponsor. Anything that you want to do with your business to take it to the next level, have an entertainment or an information hub in the palm of your hand, it's Superpass. It will give you the unique opportunity for everything one more thing before you go. Please take the time to support us by subscribing, following, and visiting our unique merchandise store at beforeyougopodcast.shop. You'll find that link to the store in our website. It is beforeyougopodcast.shop. You can find our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. And one more thing, beforeyougo.com. You will find links to your favorite platform to listen to the show as well as the show notes for today's episode and contact information for our guest. And we appreciate you. Thank you for supporting and listening to us each and every week. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, it depends on, I suppose it depends on who you ask, but there was um, a dangerous time that was funny to so many people. Um, we had a cherry tree in her backyard. And that woman went out and checked those cherries every day in June. They weren't ripe until July. And what she started doing was picking the bottoms that she could reach and, and eating them to see if they were ripe. And I checked with my doctor and she said, as long as it's not affecting her, uh, let her, you know, let her eat because you can't keep her from picking the cherries, which I couldn't do. One day in July, they were miraculously ripe. And my mother was just beyond thrilled and we picked cherries. I made the mistake of bringing out a step stool, which got up to the next level. And my mother decided that that was what she was going to do also when I wasn't there. So I hid the step stool. One day I came to bring her dinner and couldn't find her. I went to get into my car to drive downtown to look for her and I could hear her humming. And my mother had started doing this strange humming that went for the rest of her life. Whenever she was upset or uh, things were uncertain for her, she would start humming a non-tune. There was no melody, no chorus, just a, a humming sound. Um, 
up in the tree. I looked up and I think she was probably 20 feet up into the tree. And I wrote about that in my book. I couldn't get her to come down. Holy I didn't smoke. know how to go up and get her, but she refused to come down. So what I did, and you referred to this earlier in our conversation, how we trade places and they become the, the, the toddler and we become the parent. I held up my fried chicken and I said, well, too bad I'm going to have to eat this fried chicken, mashed potatoes and biscuits without you, unless you could only come down and join me for dinner. And I went in the house and I did have to reheat dinner. It took that long, but she came down and we had dinner. That's brilliant. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. That's funny. Fried chicken and mashed potatoes. That's it. That's an enticement. <laughs> Got her out of the tree. Yeah, that's great. It's better than calling the fire department. How do you explain yeah. that one? It's not, you got a cat in a tree? Nope, my mom. I got a mother in the tree. Come get my mother. <laughs> that's pretty funny. During this time period, as uh, as she started to get worse, and started to move uh, into the latter part of this particular disease, um, was there anything that you had observed or had noticed that uh, uh, we can share with anybody that... Um, if they're going through the same thing that they would kind of take notice to. So as I said, when we first started this and as our listeners know, this is one more thing before you go. So, you know, is there anything that you would recommend that um, they can take notice to say, Hey, if you're going to say what you need to say, this is the point you need to say it. Yeah, I think, I think I do I have a couple of things. Um, educate yourself as much as you can. Um, if you if you start down this path with your loved one, just know that it's not going to stop. There is no cure for dementia. The only thing that stops dementia is when your loved one leaves you. Um, you are never going to be in front of this. You are never going to be able to predict what the next behavior is going to be. You are always going to feel one step behind and you are always going to be picking up the pieces no matter what kind of pieces they are. Uh, forgive yourself at the end of every day and congratulate yourself for showing up. And tomorrow is a new day. It's a new day to make new mistakes, but you are showing up and you're caring for them. And if you can, try to find the humor in it because in the end, you don't get to go back you don't get to take things back. You don't get to change the way you responded. So, so try now. Try, try entering into their reality, seeing it their way. Understand that when they're at their worst, it's probably when they're at their most frightened and they need you the most then. And, um, and, and, and just show up. That was profound. Very nice. It's Speaking what of, I wish I had told myself in the book if I had read it first. <laughs> well, you know, now here an opportunity for people who are going through the same thing. This is kind of a guidebook that they can reach yeah. out to and they can follow this because this journey, um, you need to know that obviously you're not alone. We've all, there are many, many of us that have walked that same journey. And there are so many things that we have learned that can be passed on that will allow you, if you're going through this, in some form or another, to understand, um, have some patience, to learn, and to help them through the situation as well as yourself. And I think as a caretaker, 
because you come become a caretaker, that you also need to remember to take time for yourself as a caretaker, because we always the hardest to thing that. to do. It's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? How do you? I, I've heard this so much, and I and I remember thinking, how, you know, what do you mean by that? Go take a bubble bath, you know. Go take a vacation. How? It, for me, it was finding finding my tribe. Um, you know, the Alzheimer's Association meetings that we had locally were a godsend for me. Um, talking to some other people that were in a similar situation that you could relate to and say, oh, it's happening to you too. Um, to me, that was, that was what saved me. Yeah, for us, uh, we had the ability, the opportunity. Um, we had uh, David's sisters come out and they would give us a little bit of a break and Diana and I, and I would go watch a movie or you know, we'd go to dinner or something. Um, but unfortunately, we also were constantly in the back of our minds going, should we call? Should we call? Should we call? Right. Or you were you talking it. about dad. Yeah, you know? into that mode. So, yeah. I, I do have to ask you this. Um, on your notes that I had received, uh, what's the deal with force-feeding stuffed animals vanilla pudding? My mother, my mother was the baby holder. She, growing up, when I looked at photos in our photo albums, I stopped finally asking, which one of those is me? Because they never were. My mother held anybody's baby who needed her oh. to hold it. If they were at church and they had three kids, mom would hold the baby. So in my household, we always had, you know, somebody else's child with us, um, along with my sister and brother too. Um, I bought her a baby doll somewhere in the middle of all of this. And that became her baby. Along that line, she had the therapeutic cat at the assisted living home across her mm. lap. And it, it meowed and it purred. And those baby dolls and that cat, she was determined to feed. And it would be pudding, it would be jello, it would be mashed potatoes. And it was in every orifice that my mother could find. <laughs> so those things oh, were always fun. out for cleaning in rotation that's funny that's kind of that that is heartwarming as well as funny because even in the state that she was in she still had the nurturing she ability was. that she that was yeah i wanted to nurture and take care of take care of you know something something like that that's pretty from that perspective that's pretty cool but yeah. that would be kind of alarming to come in and find vanilla pudding everywhere <laughs> uh yes, to stop that thinking pork. About that. Poor cat. And this was a real cat or a stuffed cat? No, it was a, it was a mechanical cat that meowed and purred. It was amazing. In fact, oh, it's if, interesting. if you have the means and you're listening and you have a loved one with dementia, get them that cat. It's, it's an amazing thing to put across their lap. It's weighted. It's comforting, you know, oh, and it cool. purrs. Yeah. Yeah, I think that probably, that's one thing we found with David. He, uh, he would hum also. And I think that that humming allows them to center themselves because they don't, they deep down, they really know that there's something off just a little bit and they don't know how to respond to that because their emotions have started to fade of how to handle something, how to be angry, how to be, you know, happy, how to be sad, how to be, you know, uh, uh, any, any number of, of those. Um, they learn to hum. And, and they make a noise like that that helps them to do that, which I think is a it's a good thing because it gives them solace 
in regard to that. But what a journey. What a journey, what yeah. a journey, what a journey. Um, there was something else I was going to ask you. Um, and I completely stepped aside because I got so involved in force-feeding vanilla pudding. <laughs> uh, and I kind of messed it up there. Uh, <clears throat> do you have any tips for anybody that is going through the same thing that you're going through? I mean, it's a little bit different from my previous question about about um, you know understanding towards the end. Uh, do you have any tips for anybody that's just starting this journey? What what should they look for? What should they do? Yeah, that's that's a hard one because that's when it hits you when when you least expect it when the symptoms are interspersed they're not they're not constant so the first thing you do is doubt yourself you um you want to wait to be sure that the next catastrophe is valid that you really do have to step in this time because you want to let them make their own mistakes much like you know a toddler you know you want to let them take those steps and fall if they're going to fall and pick themselves up it's your parent or it's your loved one and how how involved and how controlling do you get um so the advice i have is is hard to give because you will be in this period of self-doubt for a long time before your loved one starts to consistently exhibit the behaviors of dementia when you know you really have to get involved there's that period of time beforehand that that you second guess every decision you make i got too involved i acted too quickly i didn't act quickly enough there's that i think during that time is when you need to dive in and find out as much as you can about dementia and caregiving there's so much available now not just books online instagram pages if you type the word dementia uh, dementia podcasts um, the Alzheimer's Association is a fabulous source and they have local, you know, local offices, they have local groups, um, dailycaring.com, a place for mom. All of these, um, online sources are amazing where you can just type your question in the search bar. You know, how do I handle accusations? How do I handle wandering? How do I handle uh, sleeplessness? You know, all of these things. I think, I guess, I guess it's educate yourself. Those are excellent tips. I think that uh, education is the key to learning communication and um, moving forward in a positive way because if you don't understand it from those perspectives, it's difficult to really um, get in the middle of it, I guess. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Let's talk about your book, how to find you and how to find your book. All right. Well, you can find me anywhere you buy books online. Just type Walking with Faye or Carolyn Birrell and it'll pop up. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's on IndieBookPublishers.com, um, Apple Books. It's available via Kindle and eBooks. And it's about to come out in audiobook. Um, 
Call your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you. Call your library and ask them to order it for you. I'm getting emails now that people are doing those things around the country. So it's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm easy to find just by doing that search. Outstanding. And I'll make sure that all of those are in the show notes as well so people have easy access to finding you and a way to, uh, to buy your book and to get more involved with taking care of the loved one with this, dare I say, guidebook. Thank you. I have something to add if you're editing and wanted to put one more thing in. Um, you asked me the question about advice. Uh, yeah. It, that, well, when we get to this point, I, I, how about this? Um, give me a second. Carolyn, this is one more thing before you go. So are there any words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to share with our listeners and our viewers? Earlier you asked if I had tips for people and I'm realizing that the, the most difficult time, in my opinion, when you're dealing with dementia and caregiving are the early days. It gets easier as the disease progresses. The early days are the hardest and the least able to predict. The, you're the you're the least able to pick the right pick the right course of action. So go easy on yourself. You're going to make mistakes, and the reason you're going to make mistakes is because this is the time where nothing is certain, and there's enough lucidity left in your loved one to confuse you, keep you off balance, and keep you uncertain about the right way to go. So you're going to make mistakes and you need to get yourself comfortable with that if you can, but don't give up. Just keep showing up. Those are excellent words of wisdom. I appreciate it. Carolyn, it's been a wonderful journey um, of your, it's been wonderful talking about your journey uh, to where you came from and where you're at now. I think that you've taken something that was uh, very unique and, and troubling and turn it into something very positive for others that are going through the same uh, journey as you have. So thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you very much for joining the conversation on One More Thing Before You Go. Please make sure that you subscribe and or follow us. You can find us on your favorite platform as well as watch this episode on YouTube. You will find the links to everything that you need, including how to contact Carolyn and find and buy her book in the show notes. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.